Thank you for that. I want to invite you to your Bibles to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. And I want us to read verses 3 through 8 together as a congregation. And I'm going to ask you if you're able and willing. If you don't want to, you don't have to. But we value the Bible as God's Word. And so I'd like for us to stand as we read God's Word together. So if you would stand. Carter, can we get the words on the screen for us? And let's read. These are God's Word for us today from the New International Version. Let's read this out loud together. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we've heard your word. Open our eyes, open our hearts. May we experience your truth today. Help us, we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may have a seat. I appreciate you participating. It's just good to do that every once in a while. Um, my daughter, Hope, was asking me this week to tell her some stories. We had some downtime one night, and she said, Dad, I've already heard the, I've heard the stories. I need a new story. She likes to hear the stories when I was young and when I did something that I, I shouldn't have been doing. And she's like, Dad, I've already heard the story when Mom told you about the Corel dishes that are unbreakable. And, and then I, I was like three or four, and I, Mom sent me out with the Corel dish with leftovers to the dog. And I fed the dog, and then the cement sidewalk was there. And so I just Frisbee-styled that Corel dish, and my eyes got so big it broke. <laughs> I did not expect it to break because mom said those were unbreakable dishes. Uh, she said, I heard that one, dad. And, and you know, I, she'd heard the one where I was still young and mom and dad said, we need to go gas up the van, gas up the, not the van, the station wagon, I think probably is what it was. Uh, and so I chose to go out and get the garden hose with the cool little spray nozzle and I just started filling up our gas tank with what? It's amazing I'm still alive. She'd already, so Hope had heard those stories. She's like, I need a new one. And so I said, okay, well, I was in first grade, Cambridge Elementary School. That was back when you could actually go outside at recess and play in the snow. Uh, and so I had formed a snowball, and somehow the snowball found, uh, its, found a kid's face with it. I don't know how that happened. And I found myself, after hitting a kid in the face with a snowball, in the principal's office. And I still... Uh, remember, don't remember all the details, but I remember my pleading, my case saying, you know, it had to be an accident. I'm sure I didn't do that on purpose. But we've all gotten in trouble at times. Maybe you've been in the principal's office. Maybe you've been in something more serious. Sometimes uh, the stakes are much higher when we get into trouble. And that happened for Amber Geiger. I don't know if you've heard her story. Amber Geiger, she was finishing a long day of work at the Dallas Police Department September 6th. 
2018. Long day of work, she comes home to her apartment complex, goes to the apartment door as she puts her key in, realizes the door has been cracked or it's ajar. She walks in and she sees a man in the apartment. And she says, you know, show me your hands. What's going on here? And he comes to her and starts waving his hands at her. She feels threatened, pulls her gun out, shoots him two times. She calls 911, starts looking to first aid. Then she starts looking around. This doesn't look like her apartment. She went outside the door to check the number. She had gone on the same apartment, wrong floor, same location. She had shot Botham Jean two times in his own living room while he was eating ice cream. Sometimes we get into some trouble. And sometimes the stakes are much, much higher. Titus chapter 3, verse 3 says, At one time we were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. In the weeks leading up to Amber Geiger's trial, she lived out that verse. And the prosecution was digging up all kinds of stuff to make their case. But her story can remind us that we have been in trouble. The Apostle Paul is writing to a young preacher. His name is Titus. He calls him my true son in our common faith. He says, the reason I left you on Crete was that you could put into order and appoint some elders. The island of Crete is the people that live there are called Cretans. And I don't know if you've heard that for a while, but usually when someone gets called a Cretan, that is not a compliment. Do you realize that if you've been called a Cretan? They were not complimenting you. And Paul tells you what the Cretans were like. If you go to Titus, you just flip the page over to Titus chapter 1, verse 12. He says, one of Crete's own prophets has said it. Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. Always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. And Titus, I want you to set some leaders on a church there. Good luck finding some elders. And so he is living this life where people are foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by all kinds of passions, pleasures, malice, envy, hating and being hated. Titus 3.3. 3. For some people, you're living in Titus 3.3 3 right now. For a lot of us who have followed Jesus... We used to live that way, but we've changed, right? God has done something in our heart, but it's important for us to look back to what life was like before we became Christians. My friend Rob Peterson talks about his B.C. days, before Christ, before I became a Christian. Here's what I used to do in my B.C. days, and it would be stuff like envy and malice and passions and pleasures. Do you remember what life was like before you became a Christian? Now, I don't want us to dwell in the past, but it's important for us to remember what we're saved from so that we know what we're saved for. And so let's think about what it was like when we were in trouble. Thankfully, we don't finish the letter at Titus 3, verse 3. Verse 4 happens, and it starts with a contrast, but... 
But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared. At one time we were in trouble, but then God's kindness appeared. This word kindness is the same word that Paul uses in Galatians 5.22 where he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. When the kindness and love, this is where we get our word philanthropy, philanthropy, the love of humankind, the love of humankind that is found from God. The love and kindness of God appeared. What's that mean? The kindness and love of God appeared. Paul likes using this word appear to show up. You go earlier just to Titus 2.11, he talks about for the grace of God has appeared, and it te- that, te- that offers salvation to all people. Titus 2.12, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness, worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. That's Titus 3.3 talk, isn't it? While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for Himself a people that are His very own eager to do what is good. Hang on to that word good. We're going to see it several times. There's a couple different words He's using for good, but we'll just say good. So we've got the grace of God has appeared. Sounds like it's Jesus. You go to Second Timothy 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, he's going to further clarify what this appearing looks like. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, it's just like three pages earlier. It says that God has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done. Aren't you glad about that? This grace has been given, in, given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. That phrase still blows my mind that God had you in mind before the beginning of time, this grace that he was going to pour out on us. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So this appearing sounds like it's Jesus. When the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, you could just say Jesus showed up. His life, his teaching, his death on the cross, he rose from the dead, he ascended on high. The kindness and love of God appeared. Verse 5, Titus chapter 3, he saved us. You've got to be lost before he can be found. You've got to realize something's missing before God can put you back together. To be saved means to be made whole, to be rescued. He saved us not because of righteous things we have done. We cannot earn our salvation but because of his mercy. Mercy is receiving, not receiving what you deserve. You deserve, you know, mom deserves to punish you, to ground you. And she says, I'm not going to ground you today. That's mercy. He saved us because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Those are big Bible words. Rebirth, renewal, Holy Spirit, washing. What's going on here? could be a reference to baptism, washing. It could be washing of rebirth. And Jesus has this conversation with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. He says, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you must be born again. Really, the only two times in the Bible, in the New Testament, talks about being born again, but we use that term a lot. 
to be born again, he says, and you must be born of water and of spirit. So we have this picture of a, of a new life, something that's dead that comes back to life. In baptism, we have this picture buried with Christ in death, Romans 6. Unite yourself with Jesus in his death. You unite yourself with him in his life, his resurrection. We receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter says on that day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, verse 32, 38, Repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Washing, rebirth, renewal by the Holy Spirit. Paul even says this same Spirit who brought Jesus out of the grave lives inside of you, Romans 8, 11. So he's got, we've got this fresh start, death to life. Verse 6, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. Whom he poured out on us, some of your Bibles might say, richly. So this is a generous, rich God who's poured out all of this love and kindness on us, even when we don't deserve it. Because remember, at one time we were foolish, disobedient, and enslaved by passions and pleasures and being hated and hating one another. And yet God in his kindness still showers us with this grace and mercy and love. Hello, does that excite you? You got anything else to write on those paper chains today? I hope you got some ideas of what else you could write on there. He saved us. He poured out on us. So we got to remember our science experiment and our, our, our bottles were just overflowing. So this kindness and love is overflowing through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Tom Wright, he says, What we see in a life transformed by the gospel is the direct result of God's lavish, generous love. And that's why he wants us to be generous, kind, and gentle in turn. So if you realize that God is generous to you and he's just poured out blessings and he's rescued you, then that's just going to naturally flow out from the way you treat people too and how your life is going to be changed. I was on a prayer call a couple weeks ago with David Upchurch. We pray on Friday mornings for Lincoln Christian University and he gives a little devotion and then we pray over the phone and uh, there's a group of us that, that do this. I get on there most Friday mornings. Some Friday mornings I sleep in. But uh, I caught this one. We were going through the fruit of the Spirit, and he was talking about kindness. And he was recalling a story from uh, Lincoln Christian College Chapel days when he was a student. So he's dating himself, not me. Uh, but he's like, it was 40 years ago when he was in college. And he remembered the preacher telling a story. He thought it was Roy Weiss, and it sounds like Roy. So I'm going to give Roy credit for this. He was a longtime minister, campus minister, where my daughter lives in Columbia, Missouri, at, at Mizzou. And so he was, uh, the preacher was traveling through an airport and to come get breakfast, and the server came, and have you ever been, been there at a restaurant and the server is just not good? I mean, it's, just, it's, it's, it's bad. And so you, she was having a rough day. Spills his coffee on him. I mean, one of those type things. She just was having a rough day. And so the service was not good. He ate his breakfast, goes up, pays his bill, leaves a $5 tip. Forty years ago, $5 was more than the cost of breakfast. $5 tip, walks out in the hallway, catches plane. The server runs out. I don't deserve this. I gave you bad service. He said, well, I thought you could use a little kindness to help you. could tell you're having a hard time, having a bad day. 
It's like, yeah, things are hard. My husband just left me. Life's hard. He gave her the name of a preacher friend in the area. Said, here, call him. Call this church. They will help you. Sometimes the kindness and love of God, our Savior, can appear in an airport. When the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us. We move on to verse 7 and 8. Yes, at one time we were in trouble. Then God's kindness appeared. Now God's kindness gives us hope. Verse 7 starts out with two words in our English Bible. It's just three letters in the original language. So that is there's a purpose. So all of this kindness and love and grace that God has generously given to us has a purpose. Here's the purpose for God's kindness and love. So that having been justified or declared not guilty by His grace, grace is receiving the opposite of what we deserve. So instead of mom not just punishing you, she actually rewards you. Try that out. That's grace, getting the opposite of what you deserve. So that having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. So God who is generous says, hey, everything I have is yours. Everything. You are my heirs having the hope of eternal life. And you look around, we need some hope. Times are hard. People are sad. People are angry. We need some hope. My friends, we have it. We have it in Jesus. Having been justified freely by His grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. A few weeks ago, we talked about with Dallas Willard and John Ortberg, eternal life is now in session. It's something that we get to enjoy now and forever. We don't just have to wait for some day. It is present with us now, having the hope of eternal life. Here's the lesson for today. The kindness of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit gives us hope. The kindness of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit gives us hope. Do you see it here in our Bible verses today? Verse 4, when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, God the Father, He saved us through the wash and rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Father, Spirit, Son, in this order. Anytime you see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit show up in a, in a close proximity, pay attention. Those are important words. Those are important verses. And so we have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit pouring out kindness and hope for us. Verse 8 says, This is a trustworthy saying. This is a trustworthy saying. This is a faithful, this is a favorite phrase the Apostle Paul likes to use in these letters to Timothy and Titus. Five times in these letters, he'll say, this is a trustworthy saying, or this is a faithful word. Sometimes he'll say, this is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. He's saying, this is important, this is true. Where is Titus living? On Crete. What are Cretans? They're liars. And Paul is saying, no, this is true. You can believe this. This is what you can believe. There's a lot of news out there, a lot of stuff on your feeds and social media, and I'm just thankful that, that Tuesday has come and gone, and hopefully those postcards won't keep showing up in my mailbox because there's some truth in there, but there's also a lot of stuff that's not true. And Paul is saying this is a trustworthy message. 
you can believe in this. This is a trustworthy saying. And I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God, raise your hand if you have trusted in God. Okay, then Paul is talking to you today. If you have trusted in God, he wants you to be careful to devote yourselves to doing what is good. To be careful means you've got to think about it. Pay attention with your brain. To devote means to stand at it in first place. To devote yourselves to doing what is good. You go down to verse 14 of Titus 3. He says it this way. Our people must learn. It's where we get our word disciple. Must disciple, be discipled to devote or put in first place. Devote themselves to doing what is good. In order to provide urgent needs for the or, or for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. So we have to learn to do good. We need some help. We need to pay attention, prioritize. We don't want to live unproductive lives. What were those Cretans like? Liars, evil, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. He said, don't do that. Don't live unproductive lives. You go up to verse Chapter 3, verses 1 and, 1 and 2. Remind the people, again, learn. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable, considerate, and always to be gentle toward everyone. As followers of Jesus, those are our calling. Be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. I want to list out six stages with you just briefly and I really mean it briefly, uh, six stages of what, from Wes Wilmer. He talks about your soul maturity and your use of stuff. He has a book called God and Your Stuff. And so what are ways that we can be generous and use God's gifts in, in healthy ways? So I want you to think about these six stages. And as I'm walking us through this, I just want to say, okay, this is me. Because I guarantee every one of us, I'm pretty sure, we're in one of these stages. And that's fine. We've got to start somewhere. Our goal is to move in maturity. We want to, become more, we want to make more and better followers. So I want to help us become better. And I was looking at this yesterday morning. I'm like, okay, where am I? So as I'm walking through these six stages, just ask yourself, where am I? And then just ask Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, what do I need to do next to move to the next stage? It's a growth. We're, in a, we're spiritual becomings, okay? The first stage in, in relation to your soul and your stuff uh, is imitator. You inf you're influenced by stories and examples of uh, others. People can mimic the examples of others in giving when shown or instructed. So someone says, hey, I'll give you the story. You're like motivated. You want to give. Good. Modeler. Your perception of God is largely formed by friends. Not always bad and depends on who your friends are, but our perception of God should find its foundation here. And the church as well, but, you know, the scriptures. Uh, perception of God is largely formed by friends. You give sporadically when given an example to follow. Third stage, conformer. Faith is growing but does not guide your entire life. There's still some things in your life that are out of bounds for God. There's some things that he's not fully Lord yet. You're, but you're coming. You're growing, okay? You've you got to start somewhere. But there's still some stuff that, you know, you just need to work on and need God's help. But it's, you're growing, uh, people give because they know it's the right thing to do. So you're just like, I know giving's important, so I'm going to do it because I know it's the right thing. But uh, 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 Okay? Maybe that's you. 
Uh, you like the recognition or the tax benefits, maybe like that letter at the end of the year that you can turn into your tax person, uh, or other personal gains from, from giving. That might be where someone is. The fourth stage I call transformer. Uh, people are becoming more confident in your faith. You start to give in proportion to what God has given you. You're like, okay, I really want my, you know, these giving, what I give to be a reflection of what God has given to me. Uh, there is a danger, though, because you start, you start kind of consistently giving, then you start looking like, hmm, I wonder why these people aren't giving like me. That's a little dangerous, okay? But maybe you're kind of, I'm just being honest, people kind of feel that stuff, okay? And so there's a danger of becoming prideful, wondering why other people don't give more. Uh, then there's a the generous giver. You detach from earthly possessions, material security. You're like, I don't need this stuff. God is what I need. He is my safety. He's my security. Generous givers recognize that God owns everything. This is all God's. It's all temporary. Everything I have is a gift from God. This group gives by one's own initiative rather than obligation or, or routine. They receive joy from giving. So you're able to get to the point where you're, you can say like with Paul, God loves a cheerful giver. You get to that point. And then the sixth stage is a mature steward. Primary focus is God and others. People find contentment in God. I wish we could have a sermon on contentment here. That'd be a good idea. Were you here last week? That was a really good message by Dr. Wells about contentment. We talked about it in our mug group this week where, you know, someone has a new car and like, nice new car. I don't need that. You can be content with what God has given to you. So finding that secret that Paul says of contentment. And you value eternal treasure over earthly treasure. You realize that you want to invest in souls. You want to see the next generation become followers of Jesus. You want to see Bibles translated into other languages. You just you want what God wants. So those are the six stages. I'm just curious. Find out where you think you are and then just say, God, what's next? Where do I go? For this next journey. It's between you and God. Look at those six stages. Here's a, so we need to learn to devote ourselves to doing what is good. Here's a couple examples just from last week. Thanks for, encourage, thanks for generously giving to the church. Thank you. We took 14 people to Columbus, Ohio last week, International Conference on Missions. And the reason I, uh, I love doing these, uh, these events is because, especially we took, we took nine kids, nine students, and I like them to realize that life is bigger than New Berlin or Pleasant Plains. And so they're talking about with missionaries around the world. But two ways that we were able to help teach them to do what is good was, one, uh, we built some walls that are going to be, uh, they are already up in Fox Valley, uh, Chicagoland area. So we worked with the ministry, and they've delivered them to Habitat for Humanity up in Fox Valley. And the kids are pounding nails, no nail guns, and... Uh, it was just something hands-on to teach them to do what is good. And uh, we also enjoyed writing scriptures on the two-by-fours. So those walls are stood up, and this family that comes in for the Habitat for Humanity Build project, they're going to see scripture on their walls before it gets covered up. That's one way to do what is good and try to get these kids to realize, and they enjoy doing that. Uh, we went from building walls to packing meals. There is a group called Lifeline, and we are making uh, Ziploc bags that are vacuum-sealed with rice and soy and protein powder and you know, dried vegetables. And uh, we were helping. Uh, uh, the goal was 50,000 meals that got packed, and they're going to go wherever hungry people need them next. 
Those are two ways that we can do good. And your giving helped us do that. So thank you. I'll give you one more example. You drink a water first. Remember Amber Geiger? Her trial came. She was sentenced. Right after the sentencing, the family members have the opportunity to give a victim impact statement. They get to speak to the person who has done the crime. And uh, Botham Jean's brother, Brant, took the stand and was looking at the woman who was accused of killing his brother. He said, if you are truly sorry... I know I can speak for myself. I forgive you. And I know if you go to God and ask Him, He will forgive you. He acknowledged that He was not speaking for His family, but He said, I personally want the best for you. I wasn't even going to say this before my family, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you because I know that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. To give your life to Jesus. And then he kept kind of tugging on his collar because he was just emotional. He looked at the judge. He said, Can I hug her? Can I hug her? Please. And she got down, he got down, so the judge said yes. She, he was walking, she ran to him for that hug. And he hugged the woman who killed his brother. Before that day was over, the judge walked down and gave her a hug as well. And gave her a Bible. Sometimes the kindness and love of God can show up in a courtroom. The kindness and love of God can surprise us. And we can shock the world, church, by how we display God's love and kindness to the world. I have a couple questions. Some of you might still be living in Titus 3.3. Foolish, disobedient, enslaved by passions and pleasures, being hated and hating one another. If you've never formally accepted the kindness and love of God our Savior, maybe today is the day that you take that step to say, I know I need Jesus. I'd love to have that conversation with you to take that next step. For a lot of us, we're living on this side of Titus 3.3 and the kindness and love of God is in our lives. What are you going to do? How are we going to respond to God's kindness and love this week and surprise our world by how we live differently and invite the world to God's lavish party of his love, kindness, and grace? Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you for giving us hope. I pray that we would embrace your kindness and love today in deeper ways.
I pray that you would use this church family and those who are joining online to surprise the world by how generous and lavish your kindness is that flows through your people. Help us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Thank you.